floating objects in the southern Indian Ocean. They're reported to have been between 2 and 15 metres in size. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning. Welcome to Money for Nothing. I'm Brian Curtis. The IMF prepares $18 billion in loans for Ukraine. Microsoft office, uh, launches Office software for the iPad. And the English Schools Foundation here in Hong Kong raises school fees by almost 6%. You didn't see that coming, did you? Well, it's a breaking story this morning, and we'll have details in just a moment. Here's a little tease of what else is coming up. Every interaction we as humans have with other humans Every interaction that we have with machines and the interactions between machines is all going to get digitized more rapidly than ever before in our history. That sounds pretty complex. That's Satya Nadella, the chief executive officer of Microsoft, looking at some of the deeper trends in tech. And we'll also look at some of the big, broad trends in banking. It's the rapid rise in wealth in much of the world, not just our part of the world, but in much of the world. Uh, with new and greatly expanded institutions to concentrate and manage that wealth. That's really changed the role of the core financial system, banking and securities, as we knew it. That's Christine Cumming from the New York Fed, and we'll be hearing more from her in just a few minutes. In our featured segments this morning, we'll take a look at the reasons behind the rise in ESF fees with the ESF CEO, Belinda Greer. The news has just been posted on the ESF site. Ms. Greer will join me in our studios about 8.15 this morning. Again, the uh, fees going up about 6% uh, for primary school students, and we'll get you the rest of the details in a few short minutes. We'll also be looking at markets with Erwin Sanf, head of China Equity Research at Standard Chartered. We'll ask Mr. Sanf if China stocks are so low, if they've been battered so much that they finally represent value. And what's up with the torrid selling of tech stocks? Uh, Tencent, for instance, down 20% in about three weeks, and Twitter off some 40%. Then later on, Danny Hicks from AFP will be along to preview the Hong Kong Sevens. We'll be looking at some of the controversies surrounding the rugby tournament, including criticism of limited public ticket access and the ever-present massive state of corporate boxes and sponsorship. But we'll also have lots about the fun as well. Let's take a look at Asian markets as we get moving here. Uh, the Nikkei down 60 points, 14,562. We also see lower markets in Australia and Seoul, but not by much. The ASX 200 down just a point in uh, Australia. And in Seoul, the Kospi is off six points in 1971. Well, Microsoft Office has come to the iPad, but Mr. Nadella, the CEO, says this is only a start. The world in the next five years and the ten years is not going to be defined by the form factors that we know and love today, but by the variety of form factors that will come to be over the coming years. If you think about the coevolution of silicon hardware systems and software will birth many new form factors at a pretty rapid pace and that'll just make computing ubiquitous. The second thing is that pretty much everything we do is going to be digitized. That means every interaction we as humans have with other humans, every interaction that we have with machines and the interactions between machines is all going to get digitized more rapidly than ever before in our history. 
And all that leads to perhaps the most important trend of all, uh, which we are at the very beginning phases, which is to reason over all that digitized information um, with vast amounts of capability like machine learning in real time, and to really take all that insight you get by reasoning over that data and improve the fidelity of those very interactions, improve uh, what you can do as humans with machines, between machines, and what have you. So that, to me, is the future uh, that we are building towards. Mr. Nadella said that Microsoft intends to make sure its office software can work on all major computing devices, including those made by competitors. And Wall Street stocks down for a fourth time in five days. Banks and technology companies uh, taking a hit. Investors stepping up the rotation of late out of the bull market's biggest winners. The S&P 500 down 0.2% at 1849, while the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down 4 points at 16,264. The Nasdaq Biotech Index up 304% over the past five years, down 11% since the end of February. I'll bring in my first guest in just a moment, but first I wanted to do a little bit more about these broad trends. Uh, We heard about those in the tech industry, and Christine Cumming from the New York Fed says that there are some major disruptor trends hitting the finance industry. It's the rapid rise in wealth in much of the world, not just our part of the world, but in much of the world, uh, with new and greatly expanded institutions to concentrate and manage that wealth. That's really changed the role of the core financial system, banking and securities, as we knew it in the certainly the 19th and 20th, early 20th centuries, but even maybe well into uh, the beginning of my career. It was That job was to intermediate scarce capital on one side and a large supply of big, ambitious projects on the other. Uh, Think about building the transcontinental railroad here in the U.S. By contrast, today we live in a very capital-rich world where the problem for the financial system to solve is effective capital deployment. She says the emerging market advance is also a major trend. The shift of income, wealth, and economic energy from the so-called advanced economies, uh, one of which we sit in today, uh, United States, Japan, and Europe, to the so-called emerging uh, economies. Ten years ago, the emerging market economies accounted for about 20% of world GDP. The advanced economies, 80%. Today, the proportion is 40-60, and you all know that the average rate of growth in the emerging world continues to outpace the large advanced economies. And the third major trend that she'd like to highlight is technology. At one time, the financial system was involved in matching savers and borrowers, as you know. Think today about how that really works. Uh, Today we have uh, facilitation, if not outright, uh, uh, process that's done in the world of uh, trading platforms, uh, information screens, et cetera. Uh, Increasingly we have not just automation but artificial intelligence to do credit analysis, financial analysis, um, and uh, conduct trading activities. And so in this kind of a world, uh, the role of financial institutions uh, changes. Just to set up there for our uh, deeper discussion uh, now, we welcome Erwin Sanf, head of China Equity Research at Standard Chartered. Uh, Erwin, good morning. 
And thanks very much uh, for, for joining us uh, here on the program. We've just been hearing about all these major trends. Uh, you know, in this program, we often look at day-to-day market action and the latest corporate news and such. Uh, but maybe a little discussion about some of these broader trends. Uh, there has been a lot of disruption uh, due to some of these trends that she highlighted, the rise of the emerging markets and the intermediation uh, process of the financial institutions with all this wealth being created all around the world. Uh, when you look out at markets now, um, you know, what do you, what's the main takeaway? Well, I think we've reached a couple of really important inflection points. Uh, Locally, uh, we've seen a big bull market in new economy stocks. So even though the overall index hasn't done much, but anyone who's invested in internet, uh, environment, healthcare, gambling uh, has made a lot of money. But those stocks are off nearly 20% from their peaks so far this year. And that looks like it will continue. So I think uh, we're advising people who've got money in the market to get out of those sectors, get back into some more old economy stocks. And I think the other point is just referring back to the more broader issues. We are seeing a stabilization in flows. We've had huge outflows from emerging markets back into developed markets. But there are signs that that is starting to stabilize. So, you know, for those of us working in the region, uh, that's good news. You can feel uh, the pain of some retail investors who maybe were late to the game on those rising Macau gaming stocks and the Internet uh, and mobile games stocks. Uh, Then they get hit pretty hard because they layer in and now they've been slammed 20 to 30 percent, maybe even 40 percent. I mentioned Twitter. Uh, And then, you know, now perhaps they have redirected some cash to these old economy stocks and then maybe the trend switches like that again. Well, the new economy stocks have been doing well for so long. I think this break in trend uh, is going to persist. So, you know, old economy have been out of favor for a very long time. If people are making that switch, that's, we think, the right thing to do. And uh, the, the, the reason I say that is the premium, the pre- valuation premium of these new economy stocks over the whole market is at the highest level still, even with the correction, it's the highest level in the last uh, 14, 15 years. So there's not really much support for those new economy sectors. What I've been hearing a lot just in the past couple of days from traders is uh, that they think that the China stocks have been sold down so aggressively and the uh, price to earnings ratios and price to book are so low that they've already discounted a major disruption in the Chinese economy. Do you agree with that? I think the Chinese economy uh, will continue to slow. So the the news flow is not really going to get much better in the immediate future. Uh, Having said that, uh, a lot of it's priced in. Um, We're starting to see some of these state-owned companies moving assets around. And although it questionable in terms of the value created. It creates a lot of heat and uh, noise, which pushes pushes up share prices. And, and a lot of those sectors are oversold. So, yeah, I mean, old economy, when it's cheap and there appear to be lack of catalyst, that's probably a good time to be putting some money to work. Because as you say, while the high flyers have been um, savaged of late, you've seen companies like Cnook sort of do a little bottoming out and turning up cement. Uh, some of these we had seen really such a long, uh, protracted downturn. Now all of a sudden they've perked up. Uh, so you think that's an exciting opportunity? Yeah, normally if we mention those words, people will switch the radio off. But yeah, <laughs> we can <laughs> hope for better. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I mean, before the end of the year, I think the government will come in and provide some stimulus because, I mean, the property market in 
China is slowing pretty dramatically, um, and I don't think that'll be allowed to continue for the full year. So, yeah, it may feel a bit early, but uh, always better to be early than late. It's not necessarily necessarily binary, but um, you have also heard a lot of people say, if you see stimulus, that means a slowdown in reform. That means they're caving on reform. Do you accept that point? Well, I think if they cut, if they do something like cutting the uh, reserve uh, rate requirement ratio, this you can do that and inject liquidity into the economy without really changing any of the uh, structural reform efforts that are underway. So we think that's a good way to do it. Yeah, we don't want to see them backing away from the structural reforms they've committed to uh, the plenum last year. And do you see costs continuing to rise here? Or do you think that some of these trends that we've seen here of late uh, mean that, you know, we may kind of get a deflationary push again? Well, across the broader economy, yeah, deflationary forces are re-emerging pretty quickly, um, particularly on the property side, but we've also seen it in copper prices and uh, other measures. But on the cost side, it's interesting, actually, the new economy is seeing a lot of cost pressure. And I, I think perhaps they've had it too good for too long, but there have been a lot of earnings disappointments, uh, margins coming in below the, uh, below expectations on the new economy side. For the other sectors, yeah, they've been in a tough situation for several years now. So in a way, they, they've all become more efficient and more careful in the way they're managing the businesses. So would you say, I mean, it sounds like you're taking quite a moderate and reasonable uh, tack. Would you say that for investors, uh, with a lot of this churn that we've seen of late, uh, don't uh, take your eye off the core uh, development, which is that the big, broader Western economies are recovering, a little herky-jerky, a little bit uneven, but Europe is coming out of a complete mess and the United States is, is recovering slowly. And that should be a good thing for owning equity. That's correct. Uh, here, I would say the news flow out of China will still be quite poor in the near term, though. So if people are buying into banks, property and these other uh, oversold or cheap sectors, it's going to be a bumpy ride in the coming months. Okay, Mr. Sam, thank you very much for joining us here on Money for Nothing. Uh, Erwin Sam, head of China Equity Research at Standard Chartered. Money for Nothing, the time, 16 and a half minutes after 8 o'clock. Well, a segment you've been waiting for coming up. In uh, just a moment, but I just thought I'd bring you the latest currency numbers. The dollar yen now 102.17, so that's really not much change. The euro is trading at 1.374 US dollars, also flattish. The Australian dollar, which has been on a tear of late from about 89 US cents, now up to 92.7 US cents. Well, the English Schools Foundation has just posted on its website an increase in fees. Fees for primary school students have been raised to 74,100 from 73. That's a gain of 5.9%. Secondary uh, fees up 4.2% from 101,400 to 105,700. And years 12 and 13 being raised up to 111,100 from 106.3. That's a gain of 4.5%. ESF says the increases are necessary to keep up with rising market costs. Belinda Greer is the ESF's CEO, and she joins us now in our studios. Ms. Greer, good morning. Good morning, Brian. Yeah, it's great to have you. I think this is the first time we've had you on RTHK, as best I can remember. Um, Why did you raise fees? 
Well, Brian, as you say, that the market costs um, obviously have to be a consideration. Um, ESF um, aims to give the very highest possible learning experiences to all of our students and therefore we have to ensure that we're recruiting high quality teachers, that we have good resources in our classroom and on top of that of course like every other school and every other business in Hong Kong we've, we've got the, the pressures of, of inflation. Yes but inflation is not running at 5.9% is it? Uh, if that's a, a phone, uh, take it off the table. Uh, uh, if not, um, <laughs> then just proceed. Seems like we've got a handle on it now. Go ahead. Um, I mean, overall, it's it's 4.9% um, of an increase. And um, for parents, the, the reality of that is that it's about $400 um, a month increase um, to $480 a month increase. So we're looking at the, the, the cost of education and we're looking at ensuring that we're able to develop and give our children the very best. You know this is a very emotive issue uh, in this town and there will be um, the Pitchfork gang out for sure today. Uh, you're bound to get uh, quite a few complaints uh, because people would say that their salaries – you know, particularly people whose kids are in um, in ESF and not in the international schools, their salaries haven't advanced this much. Uh, can you give them any solace? Yeah. Well, I mean, the, fr- the first thing I would want to see is that we are um, entrusted with other people's children, and that's really important. We want in ESF to give our children the very best education. And we're looking at the costs, and I, and I think, um, you know, a rise of around $450 a month I'm hoping that parents will understand that that's reasonable. That's reasonable for the the quality of the the education that we're providing and that um, their children are getting a very good experience. I mean, ESF has excellent results. I mean, we just announced yesterday that we had seven of our students from last year in the the best world um, rankings with the the ICGCSE, which is accredited through the, the Cambridge so, I mean, ESAF does perform very, very well for our children. And if we look at the fees and we compare it to the market, we're still very competitive. In saying all of that, however, I, I would want to say that we're not complacent and we're not looking to um, significantly increase fees, that we will be looking for ways to ensure over the next few years that we look for efficiencies in the, the system and we look for different ways of generating income, as well as, of course, um, looking at the the fees. So are teachers' salaries going up or your administrators' uh, salaries going up? Yes, salaries will will increase um, next year by 3.5%. So are you trying to keep the increases in salaries under the increase in fees? Well, there's there's more to um, the the fee increase than just salaries. Obviously, we've got to look at the running costs and, as I said earlier, look at inflation. So it's not just a one-to-one correlation. We do have to look beyond just salaries. What are your key costs besides uh, teacher salaries? Well, if we look at the, the resources and if we look at the, 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 the buildings and um, look at the um, electricities and, and waters and different charges that we face. So the thing is that um, your chairman said we were going to see 23% uh, increase um, by the year after next. So you went up about 5-ish percent now. Does that mean next year we're going to see a whopping 18% rise? Right, Brian, that's a really good question because that's not what's going to happen. With the, the subvention being phased out, 
the, the, the students who are currently in the system will not um, have significant increases in their fees because the subvention will take 13 years to phase out. So our new students starting with us in year one in 2016, that will be the first cohort that will have to pay an increase on the, the fees. And therefore, that's why it's so important that we do a lot of work just now looking at our costs and looking at ways of ensuring that any fee increases that we do have to make are kept to a minimum whilst looking at the quality. I mean, I think parents want the very best for their children and we want the very best for their children. And it's about working with, with the parents so that they have an understanding of um, why we're charging the fees that we are. Will the capital levy be affected? Yes, we are looking at the capital levy um, for next year, and that's another area that we need to consider. Now, this is something that I think has got the ire of some people. uh, Quite a substantial portfolio of real estate that that you have, uh, some 200 residential properties around uh, Hong Kong uh, with a value of more than $2 billion. That's a lot of money. Half rented to staff, the rest leased on the open market. Uh, Any changes planned there? And how do you justify that kind of massive... uh, Portfolio. Yeah, well, that massive portfolio actually supports the learning and teaching and the, the, the schools that we do run. Um, we're able to borrow money on that portfolio, and without that portfolio, we wouldn't be able to do that. So, you know, for people who, over the last 50 years, who've been involved with ESF, who have built up this portfolio, they've really strengthened our position for moving forward. So, you know, I have been asked, why don't you just sell the portfolio and that will give you um, money for just now? And, you know, it's really important that um, as an ESF community, that we leave ESF in a stronger position than the one that we found it and that we don't just live for today and not care about tomorrow. Yeah, but buy low, sell high, and we've been very high here. I'm sure you're not a trader, though. Um, Another um, thing that I'm curious about, uh, I saw somewhere that you have vowed to clean house at the ESF. Have you done so? Well, we're starting to look at that. And I think what's really important is that that I work with the principals and with the the team at the centre to look at um, our costs and to look at um, creative ways of doing things differently and perhaps more effectively that are more cost effective. Yes. um, You know, when you say things like clean house, you think of um, getting rid of a lot of underperforming teachers. Uh, Is that something you'll do? Well, I, I think that's, you know, ESF can um, be very proud of its teaching staff. We do recruit what I would say is some of the best teachers in the world. And we do um, have um, teachers who need support and need development. And many of these teachers do develop within within ESF. Yeah, just yeah. briefly, I, I saw in a letter I think you wrote or something that was posted uh, that you only renewed 467 of 909 teachers in ESF schools. That sounds like you have cleaned house. <laughs> well, that, that will also reflect people who naturally just want to move on, people who want to, to go to another part of the world to teach. Okay, so just again to recap, um, we have some increases. They're posted on the uh, site. You didn't announce um, the Renaissance College and the four uh, international kindergartens. That will be coming at a later date. But for people listening, you can go to the ESF um, website and you, you can check it out. Primary uh, going from 70 to 74 and change. Secondary 7 to 11 going from 101.4 to 105.7 and secondary 12 and 13, 106.3 to 111.1. Ms. Greer, thank you. Thank you, Brian. Linda Greer, Chief Executive Officer at the English Schools Foundation. And it's time now to segue into the rugby. And 
Here comes Danny Hicks, editor of Sports Direct at AFP. Good morning, Danny. Good morning, Brian. Yes. So we are on the cusp of Hong Kong's biggest sporting tournament, and you must be very excited. Yeah. Uh, to paraphrase Andy Williams, it's that most wonderful time of the year. It's that most week, wonderful weekend of the year uh, if you're a sports fan in Hong Kong. Yes, we'll be covering it quite aggressively on Radio 3. We'll have uh, coverage today, tomorrow, and Sunday, including live uh, commentary uh, late Sunday afternoon for uh, the, the wrap-up games. Um, what do you see as most interesting about the lineup of teams this year well uh i think it you know uh, just to mark people's cards it's it's starting a bit earlier this year the first match is at two o'clock this afternoon which is earlier than in previous years and that's because we've got a, a world series qualifier competition which hong kong are taking part in very very important this one the winners of that sort of second tier competition 12 teams in it including hong kong will get a core place in the irb world seven series next season and that means that uh, you know for hong kong we want to go full time with their rugby sevens team that that is a big prize does hong kong have a shot they do they do they're one of the favorites uh you know there's some good teams in there though you look at japan and and italy and uh, sort of the unknowns of uh kind of uh uruguay and uh american samoa you know south sea island is always good but yeah hong kong uh are fancied in that and uh they kick off against uh tunisia at uh 44 minutes past two uh this afternoon is their first game and uh, and their second game is at uh, around five to uh five to five this afternoon against american samoa so uh, the action coming thick and fast we always seem to have the same favorites uh fiji of course the all blacks uh england uh and um well, south, africa this year. south africa yeah, yeah. um is that uh, any different this year or will it be the no. same four or five teams uh, coming down? Well, it's fair to say that the, the, the series so far uh, this year has been dominated by South Africa and New Zealand. Uh, South Africa have made five finals and uh, they lead the series by two points from New Zealand who kind of slipped up last week in Tokyo and uh, got beat by Fiji in the, in the semi-finals. And Fiji, uh, you know, really coming into form at the right time. Won Hong Kong sevens the last two years, one in Tokyo last week. Uh, the team that's won more times than anywhere uh, than anyone in Hong Kong, and uh, you know they're going to be the ones to watch. And uh, you know they've got a couple of flyers as usual. Uh, Sammy Sunny very very is uh, is lightning in the Fiji side. Uh, watch out for him. And uh, but South Africa have been the most consistent team this year. And uh, although they've not got really any sort of standout players, they are a great team unit. And they've got Cecil Africa returning, a former IRB World Sevens Player of the the Year, and he's going to be uh, pulling up stumps. Is this a Hong Kong event, Hong Kong wide, or is it just a big expat party? I think it's a bit. It's a bit of both, really. I think uh, you know the last survey that was done by the Tourism Board showed that something like twenty thousand visitors come in from overseas for the Sevens weekend. But you know you can uh, you can say that there are thousands and thousands of Hong Kong people who uh, who enjoy it as well. But the old the... bugbear of not being able to get a ticket. Yeah, is just, the what about the ticket distribution this year? I've heard some complaints, maybe not as bad as uh, as some years. Well, the, the 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 sort of tickets that go on sale to the general public was reduced from four thousand to three thousand this year which has got a lot of people wound up. And unfortunately, you know, ticket touts will be around. I saw some in one Ch- I was offered tickets four times in one try yesterday on my lunch break from my office by uh, sort of tout-type characters who are hanging around already. And the tickets always seem to find the, the ha- uh, their way into their hands, which is uh, always a bit of a bugbear for people who, who live and work and, uh, and are rugby fans in Hong Kong, can't get hold of one themselves. And has this event been taken over by the corporates? Is that what it's all about now? And the average Joe doesn't really have a chance to see it. 
I don't think it's so much the corporates. I mean, the corporates put a lot of money in for sponsorship. Without their money, this event couldn't be as big and as popular as it is. It is the best seven uh, series event in the world. Um, and they need to entertain their clients. But you've also got a tremendous amount of rugby players, rugby clubs. They get tickets as well. I know people who are involved in the mini rugby and so on. Okay. They all get allocated tickets. So it doesn't leave much for the public. Until we get a new, bigger stadium in Kaitak, which doesn't look like it's going to be until 2019 at least, we're still going to have this problem. Okay, got to go, Danny. Thanks very much. Danny Hicks, AFP. The Nikkei down 65 points this morning, but some of the other markets slightly turning around. Australia's higher now by a little less than a point, and Seoul is about flat. Weather today, mainly cloudy. Some fog, but we don't see any rain in the picture, sunny intervals expected. The maximum temperature probably around 24 degrees. The latest news with Janice Wong. The United Nations Security Council members have condemned North Korea's missile launches on Wednesday as a violation of council resolutions. The council president said it would consult on an appropriate response. The council held a closed-door debate of less than an hour. Pyongyang launched two medium-range ballistic missiles early Wednesday, marking a big step up from a series of shorter-range rocket launches that North Korea has staged in recent weeks, in apparent protest of ongoing annual military drills by Washington and Seoul. The United Nations General Assembly has passed a resolution declaring that the Moscow-backed referendum in Crimea was illegal. 100 countries voted in favour and 11 opposed while China was one of the 58 nations which abstained. The European Union ambassador to the UN, Thomas Mayer Harting, said force must not be used to change countries' borders. The European Union does not 